everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BFW's weekly show where we hit on all the biggest news of the week. Man, what a week it was for Bayern Munich. We had the highest of highs, beating Borussia Dortmund last weekend, setting yourself up to not only clinch the Bundesliga, but also put yourself on the pathway for a treble only to see it all come crashing down on Tuesday when Bayern was upset by SC Freiburg, a hungrier, more focused, but not more talented team. Oh, man, I am still kind of reeling from everything I saw with that. And the best part about it is the two teams get to go right back at it again this weekend when Bayern will travel to Freiburg. The two squads will hook up in what will surely be an intense matchup. I can't even imagine the height of emotion that's going to be going on. Uh, Freiburg, of course, coming off the win is just going to be riding high and confident. Bayern Munich is probably a little bit pissed off, but I think they have a lot more issues uh, than what might appear on the surface. I mean, there's a lot going on with this team. You can talk about the coaching change. You can talk about how players are adapting to the coach. You can talk about just how out of sorts they look and un, how they look and unfocused they were against Freiburg. And we'll hit on all of that during this show. But the first thing we'll do is uh, because of the condensed nature of the schedule this week, we wanted to wrap the preview show into the weekend warm up. So I will start with that. And like we always do with the preview show, we look at where the teams are in the standings. And of course, after last weekend, Bayern Munich sits atop. The Bundesliga table by itself. After 26 match days, Bayern has 16 wins, seven draws, three losses. That's good for 55 points. They have scored 76 goals and have only allowed 29. Right behind them in the table is Borussia Dortmund at 53 points and Union Berlin at 51. Over the course of Bayern's last five Bundesliga games, they are four and one. They beat Dortmund last week 4-2. They did drop a 2-1 decision to Bayer Leverkusen in the last game before the international break. But more importantly, they just dropped a 2-1 decision to SC Freiburg in the DFB Pokal on Tuesday. As for Freiburg, they are having just a, an excellent season in, in so many ways. Christian Strike has just done... Another outstanding job with this unit. Uh, this is a, a good team. It's a veteran team. And he's got a good handle on what they can and cannot do. And he played Bayern Munich like a guitar in that in match on Tuesday. He made Bayern do things they didn't want to do. He frustrated them. He put them in positions they didn't want to be in. And ultimately, it came down to a couple of mistakes. And Freiburg was able to take advantage of it. So Freiburg, through 26 match days, 13 wins, 8 draws, only 5 losses. That's good for 47 points. They sit in 4th place, as I said. They have scored 39 goals and allowed 35. Through their last 5 match days, they are unbeaten, but that only includes 1 win. They have 4 draws. Last week, they had a 1-1 draw against Hertha Berlin. The week before that, which was right before the international break, they had a 1-1 draw with Mainz. So, Freiburg, honestly, if they played up to their ability in some of these other matches, if they were as hyped up for Mainz and Hertha Berlin as they were for Bayern Munich, they might be in a 
I mean, a really good position to challenge Bayern Munich for the league title, but one too many draws for Freiburg and they are sitting in fourth. But as for this matchup, what does it say about Bayern Munich to be in this spot right now? They just got eliminated from the Pokal. They have a chance to get instant revenge on the team that knocked them out of the competition. What is this game going to say about them? It's so weird to say that this is an important match so early in Thomas Tuchel's tenure, but it's like the third high-profile match in a row, and then after this, they head right to Man City to play them. It's crazy that Tuchel one, I'm still reeling on from the fact that they brought him in at this juncture at this time with so many key matches. I still can't believe it. Like that to me was something the board did that I won't understand. The timing of this was not really fair to him. It wasn't fair to the team. It wasn't fair to those players at all. It was not fair to the coach either because he's stepping into this situation. There is no ramp up period for him. His first game was against Dortmund in a match that could decide the league title. So Thomas Tuchel's been put in a bad spot. Bayern Munich's board, the more this goes on, the worse the timing of this decision seems. I don't want to get into bashing Tuchel because I don't think right now you can really say anything bad about him. He's doing the best he can with what he has in this amount of time. And I know like some people have taken some of the criticism I've had at Tuchel a little bit out of turn, I think. My problem is not with Tuchel as a person. It's not with him as a coach. It's not with his tactics, with how he manages a game. It's not with his ability to strategize. He's a brilliant coach. I just think over the course of time, he wears players down. And eventually, I think we'll see that at Bayern Munich. But right now, it's in that early period. He's in his honeymoon stage. He's doing a lot of good things. He's getting buy-in from these players at a key time, or so it seemed. But then we got to the Bay pokal match. And after they were riding high from the Dortmund win, they were unfocused. They were inefficient. They were inaccurate with their passes. They were sloppy in so many respects. Uh, it was tough to watch because you just got this feeling over the course of the match that something was going, going to go wrong, and it did. And a little bit later in this podcast, we're going to touch on some of those things that did go wrong and maybe talk about why they did as well. But as for this upcoming match, I think Tuchel's got to really stick to the basics. If he's going to play a 4-2-3-1, then he's got to roll with it. I think what Julian Nagelsmann learned to this point in the season before he was axed was that this group of Bayern Munich players, this particular roster operates best with their best 11 players in a back three. And I know that that's sacrilege. And I've talked about it last week. I've talked about it in the post-game show the other day. But it, if he's not going to roll with that, if he's going to do his own thing and go with the 4-2-3-1, he's got to go with his best 11 players for that. I don't think he did that the other day. I think maybe he felt a little pressure to play certain players. Yes, another topic we're going to hit on in just a little bit. But if I'm going to sit here and I'm going to pick a starting 11 for this match for Bayern Munich and I'm going to guess the way that Tuchel's going to go, let's try this out. Uh, Jan Sommer will be the goalkeeper. 
I think at center back, we are going to see Matthijs De Ligt and Dio Upamakano. You would think that those two would be scuffling and struggling a bit, but they they really haven't been. I had no problem with the center back play. I thought Upamakano did not have his top game against Freiburg. I don't think he was one of the reasons they lost. I thought he was solid on the day. I thought the Licht was very solid. Uh, I think at the outside back positions for this match, I think Alfonso Davies will absolutely return to the lineup. I think he was missed. It has not been the best season for Davies by any means, but I think he's the best option at left back and that Tuchel's going to have to use him there. At right back, I think we're going to see Benjamin Pavar. I think even though Pavar wants to play center back, He's still right now the best right back on this team. He's steady. He understands the role when playing opposite Alfonso Davies. And I think Bayern Munich's going to need his stability as more of a stay-at-home player or someone that's willing to sacrifice a little bit of his offensive game to, to really fit the what the team needs. I think that they need that. So I think we will see Benjamin Pavar there. In the central midfield, uh, I think we will see Joshua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka. Kimmich in the game earlier this week I thought was really good. Goretzka I thought was invisible. Uh, very uncharacteristic performance from Goretzka. We had been seeing him impose his will on the opposition, really playing a physical style, getting box to box, getting up in the play, being involved. And he was not involved against Freiburg. And I think that that was one of the big problems that Bayern Munich had. They did not have that option, that threat as a number eight. Going box to box and causing issues. Uh, Goretzka, for whatever reason, just could not get into the flow of the game, and I think it hurt the team. Uh, As far as the attack goes, Eric Maxim Chupo-Moting is in question. He's got a bit of a sore back. I don't know. I mean, this has been lingering. I don't know if this is something that's going to get better in time for the match. I'm sitting here trying to make this prediction on a Thursday, and if I'm looking at the striker spot, I think we're going to see Sadio Mane get the call. Now, Sadio Mane, as we all know, is not really a natural striker. He's not the target man that Bayern Munich fans would like to see there. But I think he is a veteran. He is someone who has been through high-profile games, obviously, and has done really well in them. I think that Bayern Munich also needs to figure out if Chupo can't go for the Champions League, if they really can roll with Mane as a striker up top in a 4-2-3-1, or if Tuchel is going to have to adjust things and maybe use a different formation to account for the lack of a target man at the top of the formation. But I do think we will see Mane starting at striker. I think behind him we will see Thomas Muller. I think Muller did not have his best game, but I thought he was pretty creative. I thought he had a good impact on the match and that he was at least trying things. It will be interesting to me to see what Tuchel does here because I think he knows... He's got to get Jamal Musiala a start here. Even though Musiala had what ended up being the decisive handball in the in the loss to Freiburg on Tuesday, it's not this is not a position where you can take a young player and then sit him right after that. You need to get that kid back on the field, get his confidence back up, get him back in the flow of the game. With being injured, he hasn't quite looked like himself. His confidence has definitely taken a hit since the World Cup. He has not been the same player in the Rook Runda as he was in the Hin Runda, uh, whether it's a funk that he's in, whether he's physically beat up or tired. I don't know. I would think that fatigue probably has something to do with it. He's had a very uh, busy schedule. He, his body has has been beaten. He's It's taken a toll on him. I think he's going to have to fight through it, but for this match, 
I think we're going to see Thomas Muller at the 10, and I think we're going to see Musiala as the right wing. And at left wing, I think we're going to see Leroy Sané. Now, I think you could see Sané and Musiala switch. I think that, you know, if if Tuchel decides he wants to go with an inverted look, he'll play Sané on the left side. But I think Tuchel has to also look at it from this perspective. Sané can play both sides. Musiala can play both sides. Sané, in my mind, has been more effective as a left wing than a right wing. I think Musiala just can create trouble down the flank on either side. So I'm okay with either of those players on either side, but I do think that's the way he's going to go. Of course, that's going to put Serge Gnabry and Kingsley Coman on the bench. Coman, I think, has been really threatening every time he's been out there of late. He has really done a good job posing that threat. But Coman, it's odd because he gets a lot of heat from Bayern Munich fans. He's one of the players who... If he doesn't have an A-plus game, he usually gets slammed on social media. I know we see it a lot on our site where Coman, just there's something about him that that people don't like, apparently. And I, I think he's had a really good season. I think he's done a good job for Bayern Munich. Production-wise, it has not been his best season. But it's so tough as a wing playing this style, especially because he was playing, you know, functioning as a wing back for much of this season playing for Julian Nagelsmann. I don't know if you can totally just gauge his season, the success or the failure based on his stats. So uh, I do think he'll be out of this one, but it wouldn't shock me to see him come in as a sub. As far as a prediction goes on this match, I'm going to tell you Bayern Munich needs to bounce back. I'm not 100% confident that they will. I, I, I just think this is a match where I think Freiburg expended a lot of energy on Tuesday. I think that they were so ramped up and so hyped up to take on Bayern Munich that this is going to be a little bit of a come down for them. I think Bayern will have just enough in the tank to push past Freiburg and get a 3-1 victory. So that's the way I'm going to call it. That will end the preview portion of this program. Uh, normally, I would do a separate preview show, but we're trying to be really respectful of your time and really respectful of the amount of shows we're putting out there so that you don't feel like that you have to cram things in or, or hate listen to them. If you're trying to get through one of my podcasts. So I uh, hope you guys uh, appreciate and understand what we're doing with that. But when the schedule does start to flatten out a little bit, the preview show of course will be its own separate thing. Uh, so that will wrap that part up. Now, one of the things I touched on in that preview show was the fact that things just didn't click for Bayern Munich in that first match against SC Freiburg earlier this week. And one of the things that I've been wondering about, and I haven't been able to get this out of my head, because if you look at the talent level of the two teams, Bayern Munich is obviously far better. If you look at how that team has functioned over the course of the season, even though Freiburg has had success, I think Bayern Munich has been a lot better. I mean, I, I just, that's the way I feel about things. Bayern has, has had a really, really good season, uh, despite how frustrating it might've been for fans at times. But one of the things I wondered about at that match was how did the team react when they saw the starting 11? Now, of course we saw Alfonso Davies have to sit out. Uh, he was getting a rest day, which, man, I, I don't know if that was uh, the proper thing to do. 
I mean, I know that, listen, Davies, when he gets worn down, he can start to fall off the cliff a little bit. And I think that's been part of his problem, why he hasn't been as good this season as he was in the past. But I think in that kind of game, an elimination game, you have to roll with him, and then you rest him this weekend. But that's what I would have done. I'm not Thomas Tuchel. I'm uh, just an idiot behind a keyboard here. But one of the things I did think about was how much did having Jao Cancelo as the starter, as a starter at that position, how did that affect the team? Because as we all heard last week, when Cancelo, uh, I'm sorry, after Bayern Munich won against Dortmund, Cancelo did not celebrate with his teammates. He sulked off, went by himself, and, and was apparently angry about the situation not playing a lot. Now, the optics of Tuchel starting him after he refuses to celebrate with his teammates, that was awful. I think you cannot overstate how bad of a look that was for Tuchel and for the club. Now, we've heard a lot of theories about why Cancelo started, why Davies was rested. Listen, the wear and tear on Davies is legit. But the fact of the matter is there were other options. Now, we know Nusarma's rally. He has been a player who naturally would probably get some run at one of those outside back positions in a 4-2-3-1, but he was not up to the task. I think he was ill last week. Josip Stanisic was playing his best, maybe the best football of his career under Nagelsmann over the past two months. He got no look. So it was Cancelo, the high-priced loney from Man City who has been okay since he's been loaned here at Bayern Munich. And what did he do? He came out and was not great. He was not bad. He was okay. Like he's been the majority of his tenure at Bayern Munich. But if I was a player on that team and I saw the starting 11 and I saw it include Cancelo after he didn't celebrate with the team, that he sulked off and did his own thing and didn't want to be part of what was going on. I don't know how I'd feel about that. And I'm sure that there are some players that probably gave that move a side eye. And I wonder if, now listen, we know that Tuchel is, is a fan of Cancelo. He has been an admirer of him since their time together in the Premier League when Tuchel was with Chelsea and Cancelo was at Man City. So he's Tuchel is very aware of who Cancelo is, what he can do. But I think you have to, as a coach, take a look at this individual situation. You might want to play Cancelo, you might be even be getting pressure from your bosses to play Cancelo. And there's been some thought that maybe Brazo is pulling some strings to try and get Cancelo some extra field time. But I don't know how, as a coach, you look at that situation and you say, all right, well, he's alienated himself from the team. That's probably ticked off some of the players. I'm just going to start him this game. I think it was terrible optics. It was an awful look for Tuchel, terrible look for the club. Thing was a huge mistake, and I think that could have deflated Bayern Munich a little bit. Now, on the field, Cancelo, like I said, was okay. He had done some good things. His footwork is pretty dazzling. There's no denying that. But a lot of times, like we had seen him under Nagelsmann, he tends to drift central as an outside back. And when he does that, it does leave those quick counterattacks down the sideline. It leaves Bayern susceptible to those. And what I've seen from Cancel is he's not a bad defender, but his willingness to get back uh, in, a, in a quick manner is not always there. So I, I don't know if you're Thomas Tugel, why you would have made that move. 
I don't know that it was the right time for it. I don't know that the team would be behind it, especially after what he pulled. It was a bad look. I've said that a million times, and I will continue to think that. I think that Tuchel really, it was an awful misstep to make in your second game as a manager. If, and again, I'm making some assumptions here, if there are players that were unhappy with that, that's going to be something that lingers, something that carries on. And if two, we don't know what Cancelo is like in the locker room. We don't know if he's a good guy, if he's making an effort to integrate himself there. We did see this huge interview that fcbyron.com dropped that really detailed a lot of his personal information, a lot of really a, a in-depth look at who he is, who he is as a person, what has molded him. And it's not personal, right? Like, I don't have anything against the guy. I could really care less. I just want him to come in and, and do a good job. But when he did that last Saturday, I created something that wasn't previously there in that locker room that we had not seen this season. We had seen people griping about playing time, but never once has it been reported that someone went off, sulked away, and did their own thing when the team was celebrating. And it's terrible. It was a terrible thing to do for him. And it was a worse thing for Tuchel to play him after doing that. I think that's going to be a situation to watch moving forward. And I think Tuchel should be called out on the carpet for that because it was a bad move. And we don't know ultimately if that played a role in how the team played. Maybe that's why they were unfocused or whatever. But I can guarantee you not everybody was happy when they saw that starting 11 unveiled. One of the other big topics that we came across this week is the recent reports that stated that Thomas Tuchel wants a new striker. Now, these reports also came just a couple of days after we saw uh, stories say that Tuchel was not going to get involved with personnel decisions just yet. He's focused on this season. So depending on what you want to believe, Tuchel is either not going to address the lack of a true number one striker at the top of the formation now, or he's in, and he'll wait until the summer or he's already putting together his list there really is no in between you either believe one side or the other but when we look at the striker options out there and we look at the type of strikers that Tuchel is going to want to work with that he might need if he's going to continue to run this 4-2-3-1 now we know with Tuchel he's very flexible we know that he could run a 3-4-3 he could run a 3-4-2-1 he can really work with any set of players and figure out the best way to set them up but the one thing that he's going to need is a striker now eric maxim chupa moting has done a very admirable job he's also 33 34 years old he's not quite as quick as he used to be but he's still a viable threat against most teams but is he a viable threat against man city that's what i want to see is he a viable threat consistently against some of the best clubs in the world? Because in my mind, that's how you have to measure yourself if you're the striker at Bayern Munich. You could be the best striker. You could look like the best striker in the world against Augsburg, or you could look like the best striker in the world against Hertha Berlin, but it doesn't matter, right? You have all of this talent around you. A lot of players could play striker at Bayern Munich and be very productive. And that's not a knock on Chupo. That is really me praising the talent level on Bayern Munich's roster. Now, Chupo, to his credit, has done really, really good at converting chances. And he's done far better than I think most people thought he would, including me. I didn't expect that, to, that Chupo would be this productive. But I also recognize that 
you're now entering a new level of play in the Champions League starting next week. You're going to face Man City. And I don't know if Chupo, for as good as he has been, is going to be up to the task this season. And I'm especially unsure if he'll be able to do something like that next season. And that's where the focus really is right now. What does Bayern Munich do with the striker position? You could talk to talk about players like Victor Osimhen or Dusan Blahovic or Randall Kolo Moani. Those are three of the biggest names out there. Harry Kane, Kai Havertz. Those are all players who, even though Havertz is not truly a striker, he has been linked to Bayern Munich and has the potential to play striker. So there's five prominent names there, and I'm not going to go through one by one who's the best fit and why. But one thing we do know is that as much as Bayern Munich wants to talk about not making any splurges this summer, not spending a ton of money, if they get the opportunity to get one of those five players, it seems like this might be the calling to do it. Uh, I don't know just gauging how expensive each of them are, who is the most likely, but I have a feeling Havertz is probably going to be affordable because I think Chelsea is eager to move on from him. I think Vlahovic is in a situation at Juventus where, again, the club's finances are in such shambles and he has not necessarily reached his own potential there that he would be available. Kolo Muani, I think Osiman, they're, they're nine-figure players right now, apparently, and I don't know that Bayern wants to go that high. And if they are going to go that high, I think they would look at Harry Kane. Um, but I'm not sure, again as I repeated a million times on this show that Harry Kane really wants to leave England. So uh, I, I think if you, you look at those players, you probably see Kai Havertz as much as Bayern Munich is denying it as a player that they would take a really long look at and probably take a chance on at playing a little bit of striker, knowing that they have Chupo there who can fill in and do a good job. You also have Sadio Mane, who could present a different look there. You also have Thomas Miller, who absolutely can't play the position. <laughs> so, um, you know, th this is a it's an interesting spot in the club's history because there was no post Robert Lewandowski plan. Uh, Brazo, for as many good moves as he has made over the years, he failed to really have a contingency for what the club would look like if Lewandowski did leave. And when he did, when Lewandowski bolted to FC Barcelona, it left the club hanging out there. And I don't know that Brazo was prepared for it. I don't know if, if the club financially is prepared to be able to do what they need to do to get a really top flight striker, but they need one. You can't have all of this talent. I mean, you have some of the best wingers in the world. You have two really, really good central midfielders, and you're going to have another one in Conrad Limer coming in. You've got two tens in Jamal Musiala and Thomas Muller who can create offense with the best of them. I mean, you've got outside backs that create offense and Alfonso Davies and Usarm Rally. We don't know what's going to happen with Benjamin Pavar next year, but if, if he is here and he decides he wants to play right back, you know, I would include him as a, as, a, as a player who can contribute offensively as well. But you have all of that talent surrounding you. You need to have someone that can finish consistently, someone that's going to be a threat. Man, I, I still regret Bayern not going harder after Erling Haaland because I do think 
if somehow they had him that I don't, I'm not sure that this particular team, if there would be anybody that could stop them, just given all the talent that surrounds that position, but either way, this is going to be a very, very interesting summer for Bayern Munich. The striker market is not an easy one to crack, but Bayern has cash. They have a willingness to spend it and they also have a need. So it's going to really be a matter of preference and a matter of who they think will be able to fit in and make an impact quickly. And if you're asking me, I don't know. At this point, you know, obviously, if you could get Kane, he'd probably be a seamless fit. But, uh, you know, the other players, I think the other four all have some question marks associated with them. It's not a knock on players like Osimhen or or Vlahovic. But, you know, it's not as if they have this long track record of playing at the top level and and really performing on the biggest stages that you can look back on and say, all right, well, I'm perfectly comfortable playing, paying nine figures for one of those guys. Um, in my mind, there there are a little bit of question marks. I think Osiman of the of the four after Kane is probably the most likely to succeed. I need to see a little bit more out of Randall Kolomwani. Lahovic again, he he could be like Matthijs de Ligt and be a player who, because it's so lax at Juventus, maybe he needs a little bit of a kick in the butt to get his career back on track. And as for Havertz, I mean, we know he's not really a striker, but he's played it and uh, he's done well at times. He's got the body type to potentially uh, to, to man the position. He probably needs to get physically a little bit stronger, but he's got speed and he can score. Uh, but this will be an interesting uh, thing for Bayern Munich to explore. And, you know, for the fans, it's going to be wild because I'm sure that once Bayern Munich is eliminated from the, well, if they get eliminated from the Champions League, once that happens, I think it's going to be a steady stream of Thomas Tuchel and his plans for the roster stories that will be breaking from Sport 1 and Sky Sport and Sport Build and Kicker and every other major outlet in Germany, I think it'll be nonstop. So we'll, we'll our heads will be spinning at BFW trying to cover all of that. But, you know, we'll be right there with you, chopping it up and talking about it and trying to figure out what the best way forward is. Uh, and the, I guess the final Bayern-related thing I wanted to hit on this week was, I mean, this is this is going to be a very tough period for Thomas Tugel. Uh, it's not just the matches that that are are tough because, you know, obviously you started out with Dortmund. You had the Pokal match with Freiburg. You've got another match with Freiburg. Then you hit City in the Champions League. It's tough. And those matches are tough enough when you're a new coach. You're trying to get your staff integrated with the team, trying to build relationships, build bridges with these players. You're trying to communicate. You want to get your style and your tactics you know, you want to get everybody on board with all of that, but you're trying to do it while on the biggest stage you could possibly be on at this time of the season. And I actually feel kind of bad for him because it, it's really like the old adage of trying to drink from a fire hose. Like, how do you get one thing settled when there's so much going on? And not only all of that, no matter what the stories say, Tuchel has to be looking at this roster and assessing every player and saying, yes, he can play for me next year, or no, we have to get rid of him. And for every no that he decides on, how the hell can you get rid of him is another question. What is the club going to be willing to sell some of these players for? And 
let's be honest, he hasn't inherited the easiest situation to work with. The club brought in Sadio Mane, who is has one of the great, best reputations in all of football in terms of being a person and a player, has not worked out at Bayern Munich just yet. There's still time. There is still time. But it hasn't been great with for him here. And apparently all the good stuff we've heard about his his personality and his his demeanor it's maybe a little bit overblown because we heard he had a blow up with Nagelsmann um you know you saw some of the silly silly fouls he took against Freiburg in the Pokal uh I I thought to be honest like his yellow card foul that set up the free kick where Jamal Musial ultimately got called for a handball that's on Mane. He's a veteran player. He has to know better. That was a stupid, silly foul that didn't need to happen. It was pointless and it hurt the team. And it's not something you would expect a veteran player with his reputation to do. You've got that situation to deal with. You've got the rest of the wings who all think they're wing 1A, Kingsley Coman, Serge Gnabry, Leroy Sané. You've got to make them all feel great. You've got Ryan Gravenberg who has complained this season and he'll be competing with Yashu Kimmich and Leon Goretzka and Limer. And if Goretzka has more performances like he did against Freiburg, how are you going to deal with him? Because we know he does, he gets extremely unhappy if he's not playing. And Limer could potentially, because he does things a little bit differently than Goretzka, and he would offer probably Kimmich more opportunities to get forward, Limer could end up winning more time from Goretzka. So how does that situation play out? Especially when you got Gravenberg behind both of them, Probably not happy with his spot as well. You've got the striker situation, which is uncertain. If he decide to stay in a 4-2-3-1, you have the Muller-Musiala battle. Now, the one thing I was encouraged about is we did see Tuchel say that he is not opposed to playing Jamal Musiala as a wing. And I think it's great because I still think Musiala is the best winger on the team. I think he's most dangerous to that spot. And I think that's that's what we're learning. I think that what we've seen from him as a 10 is that he can his dribbling is going to make him successful anywhere on the field. His scoring is not always where it needs to be in terms of his shooting and his finishing. I do think that as a winger, he presents just a terrible matchup for most teams because Musiala probably can't win a race against Alfonso Davies. He probably can't win a race against Sadio Mane. But what Musiala can probably do better than each of them is get from like one foot to six feet uh, while changing speeds very quickly, right? So he can burst away from his defender and rip a shot. And to be honest, I think that that's what he needs right now to get him out of his funk. Put him on the wing, let him go be a cowboy out there and let him create from the outside and make it work in. Because what we saw from him as a winger is once he gets past his man, it breaks down the defense completely. It's sort of what Alfonso Davies is capable of, except Musiala is a thousand times better of an offensive player than Davies. So I'm encouraged by what I heard from Tuchel in saying that. I would love to see Musiala get more time on the wing. And I think as long as Muller is playing as productively as he has been, and he's been very good this season in my mind, I think it makes sense, like I always say, to get the best 11 players on the field. And if that means Musial is a wing and Muller is your 10 next year, great. 
If that means that Mueller gets a couple more rest days than normal because he's an older player, great. Musial can slide right in. Or he can move Gravenberg up, maybe satisfy his playing time requirements. Either way, Tuchel's got to deal with all of this. He's got to deal with the games. He's got to deal with the personalities. He's got to deal with the planning for next season. What the Byron board did when they fired Julian Nagelsmann, when they did, was set Tuchel up for failure, whether they realize it or not. I hope Tuchel is up to this task. I hope he can hold it all together. I hope he cannot grind away at these players and keep the team behind him. I, I hope he can do all that. But he, they have put him in such a tough spot that it's going to be very difficult for him to achieve the kind of success that fans and the club will demand of him. And this is an extremely, extremely tough job he has. And I, I think if you're a Thomas Tuchel fan, you're probably a little unsure of things right now. If you're a Bayern Munich fan, you've got to hope for the best because you went through Flick, he's gone. You, you got the next best option after Flick and Nagelsmann and chased him out after a year and a half. Now you've got Tuchel. After this, who do you go for? Xabi Alonso? I mean, that's that's kind of what we're looking at, right? So uh, let's hope this all works out. Let's hope Tuchel's up to the task. But I do sympathize with him and hope that he's able to work through all of these difficult situations that he's facing. Finally, I, I will touch quickly on The Mandalorian as I do. I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but the latest episode dropped Wednesday night, and or at least dropped for me Wednesday night. That's when I watched it. It was a good episode but i will say this critically uh i thought that was as close to a throwaway episode as we have seen from this show i have all, often talked about the sopranos and how the sopranos despite being one of the best shows of all time and being great had too many throwaway episodes mandalorian the the mini plot with the the droids th that was a throwaway that was a time waster uh i i think that this episode didn't advance the storyline too much. I think that they short shoehorned in some cameos uh, from Jack Black, Lizzo, and Christopher Lloyd. But I will say, despite all of that, and it sounds like I'm going to be very critical of it, I enjoyed the episode. Uh, I'm going to say right now, I recognize it didn't do the overall storyline any justice. It didn't really advance it. And this was kind of a one-off thrown in there that that didn't do much for me to to make the overall storyline uh, really more fruitful. But as a as a one-off, I enjoyed it. And and maybe I'm getting soft in my old age here, and and maybe I'm just have had a bad week. I was sick most of this week, so maybe I just needed to be entertained. But I didn't mind the episode. But I will say um, it definitely was among the weaker of the Mandalorian episodes that have been produced. So uh, I want to see where things go from here. I think the way the plot is, is breaking down is that after this season, I think you could alienate some of those people that were so hardcore in on the show that maybe weren't the biggest of star Wars fans. Um, but we'll see how it goes. The writers still have time to, to capture that whole audience and keep them in and retain them. But I do think it's uh, starting to drift into some areas that, that might alienate some viewers and, and maybe um, push them away. Because I think the further away you get from the, the, the 
Empire versus the Jedi, essentially the 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 main gist of Star Wars from the original three episodes, three movies. I think it you do run the risk of uh, making some people think that they have better ways to spend their time because in the end, I think a lot of people just want to see Jedi's wrecking shop against some of the Empire uh, bad guys from the Empire. So. Anyway, just my thoughts. Uh, enjoyed the episode, but do recognize uh, not everyone probably liked it and that, you know, it was sort of a throwaway. That'll do it for this week's episode. So uh, I just want to say thanks for hanging in with us. Uh, we appreciate all the support you give us the podcast and especially over at BavarianFootballWorks.com. Keep hitting us on the site. Keep listening to our podcast and, and keep dropping us comments. Love hearing your thoughts. Even when you disagree, even when you rip me, I still uh, at least get a good laugh out of it. And I recognize I'm definitely not always right. And I know you all know that, but uh, I, I do like the banter that we have when, when we agree on things and when we disagree on things. So you can always get me at the barrel block on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB works, get the tweet Meister, Tom Adams at Tommy Adams, 71, you can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can get all of our talented writers and podcasters at BavarianFootballWorks.com. Enjoy the game this weekend. I probably won't talk to you before the Man City match, so enjoy that one as well. Have a couple of beers on me. I know I need a couple after this week, and I will see you next time.